to the 87th episode of Popcorn Optional, a weekly movies podcast where we talk all things movies. And this week, we are taking a time machine back to 2008 because we are doing our annual 10 Years Later Oscars, where we like to take a look back at the Oscars from 10 years ago and how they've held up by the films today. So, you know, did 2008 do things right? Did they nominate the right films? Did they award the right films? Are the films that they gave awards to films that are still talked about? We're going to get into all of that. My name is Cameron Selena, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jake Brown and Trevor Allison. Yeah, the uh, the real question here might be, does my <laughs> film taste from 2008 hold up? And I would say largely no. Largely no. No. <laughs> This is interesting because this is the year that actually changed the Academy Awards. This is the year that they messed up so badly that they had to change Best Picture from five nominees to ten nominees. And now it's five to ten as long as they get 75% of the vote. So... (laughs) They still... Yes, Green Book. You're welcome. Um, normally when I have time, I like to try out a few jokes, a la Michael Scott. So I'm going to, I'm going to drop some knowledge on you guys. Um, Mm. 2008, the year where the best Star Wars movie was the Clone Wars. Um, 2008, the year where we were (laughs) blessed with the dawn of one of the greatest franchises of all time, Twilight. Oh yeah. Saw it at midnight. Hmm. Um, other words, this is 2008. What the heck was Charlie Kaufman doing in Synecdoche, New York? Mm. I will say, Trevor, we can talk about this a little bit because Jake, did you see Synecdoche, New York? No, Schenectady? I, I was so much busier this week than I thought I was going to be. So I, I don't think we've ever talked to this movie before. Trevor brought it up because it was one of Roger Ebert's yeah, Roger best, Ebert, his best film Roger of the decade. That it was the best film of the, yeah, the aughts. I'd never even heard of it. I'd I'd heard of it, which just is weird because... considering how great Charlie Kaufman is. Like I had I didn't hardly remembered it. Yeah, I, I'd heard of it just because I was familiar with Philip Seymour Hoffman and his catalog, so to speak. But but yeah, I had never I I knew sort of what it was about, but pff, boy, did I get more than I bargained for. <laughs> this movie's all over the place. It is comedy drama. It is meta non like it is everything surreal weirdly yes i don't know what to make of it still i saw it this weekend and i'm still processing my initial reaction to it is i think it might be one of the best movies i've ever seen but i think i need to see it three more times before i get to that conclusion but at the same time, I don't think I want to watch it three yeah, more times. I think it's a i think I, you should watch it every five years i think that's how that's how it needs to happen I like hatingly loved this movie. I think it's like, what am I watching? I kind of enjoy this, but I don't really know what's going on. And yeah. And also 2008 uh, was the year of great comedy, as I like to say, because when I looked back on this year, I was was going through the, the filmography from this year. Some of my favorite comedies of all time come from 2008. Step Brothers, Tropic Thunder, Role Models, Pineapple Express, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Semi-Pro, Baby Mama, Get Smart. There was some, that's some great comedy right there. But this might have been like the beginning of the end for those kind of movies. Now that yeah. you're saying I think it really is. Oh, for sure. 
Yeah. I think that I mean bad movies everyone, you know you everyone that was in those the, movies tried to make them again two years later and they weren't good. Or in Jake's case, they tried to make it ten years later in Holmes and Watson <laughs> stepbrothers. I can't wait. And uh <laughs> Jake, I don't know if you heard this on the last podcast, but we were both, or at least I was saying, I'm somewhat interested into how bad this movie can be. That to the point where I'm like, should I watch it? Yeah, I not watch it for you, but so I'm the one that edit, edits the podcasts, and I I edited it last week, and I'm I'm just sitting there listening to the audio go by while I'm also doing some emails. You know, it's you can you can have it in the background, um, and I listen for like a cough or a stutter, and then I I jump back and I make the edit real quick, and then I I remembered that I have to watch Holmes and Watson. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was I totally forgot that that was a part of the Oscar bet until you mentioned that, and I I I was just like, oh my god, Ugh. so yeah, <laughs> look look forward to that solo review coming soon nice it's it's interesting where 2008 is because arguably three of the biggest ips right now marvel dc and star wars all had films that i feel like are very telling of where they are today you know you had marvel in iron man and the incredible hulk two very different received films one you know kicked off the franchise and arguably is one of the most important films of the past decade and the other one is forgettable and then you have dc with the dark knight arguably the last well maybe you put wonder woman in there arguably the last great movie that they've made wonder woman's good i wouldn't say it's great and then you have star wars who puts out an animated movie in the clone wars that's poorly received not that great doesn't do great box office, but kicks off a animated TV series that's pretty great. This is also the year that killed Indiana Jones. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, it also killed Mike Myers' career. Yes, it uh, did. He oh. put out The Love Guru. I forgot about that movie. And that saw that in was theaters, guys. Oh saw my that God. in yes. theaters. Oh, it's also... Justin Timberlake is in that. also the year that Jim Carrey remade Liar Liar with Yes Man. Like, it's like the opposite. Yeah. Or the same, but different. Yeah. It's the year that temporarily put uh, M. Night Shyamalan in director's jail with The Happening. Well, let's be honest. He was on his way before this. Yeah. I think Last Airbender really sealed it, but... The fact that they gave him Last Airbender after the happening is pretty shocking. That almost felt like an intentional career killer move. Like the studios were like, <laughs> let's just let's just end him. Like let's take him to the it's vet. It's a mercy kill. Euthanize him. <laughs> give him Avatar. <laughs> just let him do it to himself. <laughs> yeah, that felt like a like a mercy killing. Okay, so Trevor, why don't you explain? I, I kind of jumped into it, but this was something that you brought up. I think back when we were in college. But explain a little bit behind. The mentality of what we're doing tonight. Yeah, so this was this was inspired um, a little bit by uh, Bill Simmons um, of The Ringer and formerly of ESPN. Inspired a little bit by Roger Ebert. Um, inspired a little bit by someone else I can't remember. But just this idea that that movie awards are not necessarily. I mean, we always we we know obviously that movie awards don't necessarily do a great job, but but the idea that you should kind of give it some time and go back and see what's aged well, what hasn't aged well, 
um, what holds up under multiple viewings and kind of think about it in the lens of 10 years later, which movies are still significant, still important. So since we have a podcast, we decided to do it ourselves. So there's certain categories we're not going to get into because we don't have time to see a bunch of movies. And with our busy schedules, we try and do this as much as we try and see as much as possible, but we still can't get to things. So things like documentary short film or any of the short film categories for that matter, you know, then there's categories like documentary where they picked man on a wire and man on a wire is a pretty great documentary and probably deserves to win. Uh, best documentary there's also technicals like costume design art direction makeup sound editing sound mixing that we um, don't get into but there are ones worth talking about even if they got right there's categories like best animated feature where they picked wally and i think we all unanimously chose wally as the best picture or as the best animated feature that year you know uh, going up against bolt kung fu panda isn't (laughs) that hard of a I think that pick, I mean, but Wally might be the best animated movie this century. I don't think that's outlandish to say. So Bolt, I think it probably should have won best picture 2008 considering right. everything else. Yeah. Bolt yes. Bolt um didn't really have a chance. <laughs> Kung Fu Panda though. Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda is fun. It's, it's fine. I like Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. But it doesn't hold a candle to Wally. No. Like that was a unanimous. I don't think I'd be curious to see the percentage of votes on that one and then see the percentage of how many DreamWorks employees were the ones that voted for <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. Um we talked about this I think like briefly before we started recording, but 2008's a rough year for movies. There's not a lot. When you look back on it, there's like good films from the year, but there's not the great like prestige films that you would think about. There's not the films that it's like, there's one film and I think we can all say it unanimously, the dark Knight, that we would look back on and go, that's a great film from that year, but that's going to be the obvious tone throughout the night is that the Academy got a lot wrong because they didn't give a lot to the dark Knight. The that's d- the unanimous opinion. The thing is that the drop off is so much more severe than most years. Right. And even this past year, it's you look at the movies that came out and there's so many movies. Like I had a hard time putting together a top 10. I feel like if I was to put together a top 10 from 2008, it would be pretty slanted. Like there'd be like Dark Knight and Wally and then there'd be a very quick Jake like you said drop off of like um Tropic Thunder, uh Doubt. I mean Doubt's fine. I don't know what I feel about Synecdoche, New York, <laughs> but there's all these like, there's like two arguably like prestige films from that year. And then there's a mix of bleh. Like, does anybody remember The Reader or Revolutionary Road? I saw both. I can't tell you a single thing about them. Yeah, yeah there's a, I, I, I ranked same. my whole list. I think I have seen 33 movies from two. Tw- uh, 2008 and there's a huge drop off after like number nine that's uh, kind of this this gulf chasm to the the rest of them the rest of them are a mix of comedies um popcorn action movies and bad james bond movies <laughs> yes well said well said Trevor. <laughs> 
Daniel Craig only makes two kind of Bond movies. He makes really good Bond movies, Casino Royale and Skyfall, and he makes really bad Bond movies, Quantum of Solace and, and it's Spectre? it's really yeah it's really bizarre. The, I can't even remember. Like Casino Royale yeah. and Skyfall are top five Bond movies, like clearly better than yeah. so many other things. And then Spectre is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, I would agree with it's that. So co- bad. Yeah. It's like the story was written by a 12-year-old who loved James Bond movies. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm cons- well, you guys, did you guys see the news that came out this week about who's going to play the villain in Bond 25? Rami Malek. Rami uh, Malek, fresh off an Academy I, Award. I like that, but it also seems like we could fall into a stereotype really easily. Yeah. I feel like we already have. Like if you look at the villains from the Daniel Craig Bonds, you have um Mads Mikkelsen, and then you have Matthew Ardenio, and then you have Javier Bardem, who's great. He's kind of the one-off. And then you have Christoph Waltz, who somehow they give a boring role to. What if it's him doing Freddie Mercury in Mr. Robot? (laughs) (laughs) He's just going to sing him off stage? Yeah, that's Freddie Mercury in Mr. Robot in a Bond movie. That's what Randy Malick's going to do. All right, this has been James Bond 25 News Updates. This is getting weird. Right, back uh, to 2008. Let's get to, let's get to some of the um, Academy Awards. Best Original Score. That's a category that they messed up this year pretty bad. They didn't give it to First Man. It wasn't even nominated. And much like in 2008, the film that we all unanimously decided should win wasn't even nominated. The Dark Knight wasn't even nominated for Best Original Score. Um, you guys both voted Dark Knight. I would have voted Wally as the best score. I think Thomas Newman's score for that is pretty incredible. But why would you guys put Dark Knight above the rest? For me, it's about... Okay, so a part of looking at these 10-year-later things is like you you get some you get some separation from things so you're not so caught up in the moment and so you can kind of like actually weigh things on a qualitative stance but also you're able to see something's impact on culture over a period of time. And like The Dark Knight is... A, a moment in film culture where everything else after that can be viewed through the lenses of it came out after the dark night. And that's like, you're able to tie the score back into it, the costume design back into it, the production design, the cinematography, like s- storytelling styles, like so much of what we know as modern cinema culture is because of Christopher Nolan's dark Knight trilogy. Um, and so I think that that the dark Knight is the best film of that series by far. I think it's the best superhero movie, one of the best movies of all time. And the score is such a key part of it. Um, that it it's unforgettable like even just a simple swell of the horn section um that of the the dark knight when batman's on the motorcycle i mean that's just like a swell of a horn section how can hans zimmer make just a swell of a horn section so iconic you know like that's that's what he does and that's why i think that this score is so important impactful and should have won best score yeah no one i i think that well, I'll say that like this. No one can do epic better than Hans Zimmer. Like I know I mean I think John Williams is clearly the greatest composer of all time and and does memorable things tied to moments and and things, but but just like for sheer epic value, Hans Zimmer is fantastic. And I think we see that in this film that is worthy of that epicness in I don't know, eight different times in the movie. Um and it's it's really really fantastic. I do love um 
I think Slumdog Millionaire won. Is that right? A.R. Rahman won for that. It did um, win. That's a really fun, interesting score that I think really captures the feel, um, but just doesn't quite have that. But I nature. guarantee you, if you pulled 100 people on the street, they would not be able to tell you. Like, if you played them five different songs, they couldn't tell you which one's Slumdog Millionaire. But the second that you start playing the Dark Knight theme, they would be able to go, yeah, that's the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I can, I can instantly definitely. recognize that's the Dark Knight. And I think that's what we're going for here is what's had that lasting impression. And Jake, I mean, you nailed it on the head. And it's going to be something that we hear a lot tonight because this is a year that I feel more so than any other year. The Academy really messed up and let a popular film not win simply because it's a popular film. Because it's a superhero movie, they were just like, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. Even though, by every rank and regard, it was the best movie. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Slumdog Millionaire, though, me and, you know, getting into original scores, staying on the music theme, me and Trevor had different opinions on what should be original song. Trevor thinks it should be Osaya, if I'm saying that right. Yeah. Uh, I think it should be The Wrestler from Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler by Bruce Springsteen. I'm not a huge Springsteen fan, but I think this is far and away the best song from 2008. I am a Springsteen fan, and The Wrestler (laughs) is just kind of um, middle-tier Springsteen for me. Like It doesn't have the the big-time oomph that his great songs do. But is middle-tier Springsteen better than top-tier A.R. Rahman? Well... What really so, so I know that um, Jai Ho is the one that won this, but I think it's the second best song from Some Millionaire. I just I love the work that MIA does on Osaya, and that's what really sells it for me. She's fantastic. So, Jake, why don't you give us your deciding vote right now on which of those two th- songs you think should have won? Okay. Um, well, I. I agree with both of your points about both songs. I, I'm not the biggest Springsteen fan, but I do think that this is middle tier Springsteen. Um, I also think that Osaya is a, a really fun song. Um, but when I hear Osaya, I immediately think, mm, this is peak mid-2000s electronic slash dance vibes. Like This is like what The Matrix, if The Matrix could have scored a film... I feel like this song would have been in it. Um, Wait, if the Matrix are... itself had written a score, is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and so but... you get Neo and Morpheus in the Matrix just trying to kill some time, and they're like, Child. Yeah, exactly. Like all the electronic beats and like the chanting in the background. I was just like, oh, I feel like I'm in the Matrix right now. Um, That's what the Matrix sequels were missing. Damn. Yes. 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 And so with the like I said, the separation of 10 years, what has aged better? It's the Springsteen song. Um, it, yeah. So for me, it's, it's the, it's the Springsteen song, the wrestler. Uh, I think it's a great message. Um, is it his best work? No, but it's better than Osaya. Cool. I'm good with that because that was mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There you go. As selfish as I can be. Uh, VFX curious case of Benjamin button one. We all have different opinions on this. I don't think any of us are wrong. Jake picks Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Trevor picks The Dark Knight. I think Iron Man deserves the award. I don't really think any of us are wrong. I think that's kind of a category that's like, okay, fine. I have not seen Benjamin Button. Um, I know that I've seen some of the clips of it and, and stuff. I've seen parts of it. I know that they do some really cool stuff. The thing with The Dark Knight, the reason why I chose it is because it feels so grounded and real. 
because um, so much of it is right right <laughs> yeah i was about to say that that's my issue with th- yeah i guess maybe you could say there's I, not a ton of, of vfx in it from what we kind of think of as computer i think there's stuff. more than we think sure. there is but i also think that like when you look at it iron man still looks pretty darn great today it does it holds and it has up. a whole lot of vfx yeah, i agree it does hold up really well the other two films that we talked about putting into this are speed racer and hellboy 2 the golden army both of which have great VFX. Speed Racer would be my, if I had to pick like one underrated film of 2008, it would be Speed Racer. I am all on board on the Speed Racer train. That's maybe the movie <laughs> but, that's benefited the most from this year of time because mm-hmm. people yeah. used to, people hated that movie when it came out. And now it's got, it's got this like, the hype has come like all the way back around where people are like, hey, actually Speed Racer is pretty good. I would like to say that I started that train, but I don't have enough influence to fully claim that. So, uh, yeah. Butterfly effect. Cinematography. <laughs> there we go. Maybe I influenced somebody who it was somebody big. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, best cinematography. Slumdog Millionaire won, which is fine, but it's a very. No. no of its time. No. Early 90s. I watched it last night <laughs> it's for the first bad. time. I've never seen it before. <laughs> And this movie looks awful. Like, yeah. like it's it's. I was trying to give it the benefit of the it's doubt. It's peak mid two thousand. Good like, God, that's what this Anthony Dodd Mantle just turning the camera sideways at random intervals. Like, like, ugh. I, I, dude, go I, Dutch, man. Oh my, go gosh. Dutch or die. <laughs> Dutch, Dutch, Dutch angle angles, for life. Dutch angles. Is that like a bumper sticker that cinematographers have? Is like go Dutch or in die. My opinion, no, but. Ugh. In my opinion, anyone who tries to turn the camera should have it slapped out of their hand. Like, Un- <laughs> unless you're Michael Bay. <laughs> uh, I still think he I should have the camera so. slapped out of your hand. <laughs> he should have it slapped out for many other reasons. Um, but yeah, Dutch angles don't do anything for this movie. It looks really weird. You're right, Jake. It feels, it looks so dated. Like it looks like train spotting Daniel, Danny Boyle's movie from 12 years earlier than this. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty accurate. And to not, yeah. but we all unanimously chose that the dark Knight should be the best cinematography and was the best cinematography. It's, it kills me that this like wasn't more recognized. I don't, I don't get how you can look at this film and not think, wow, that's the best looking film of 2008. Because it looks better than films that are now, that are shot now. It's definitely Wally Pfister's best work, in my opinion, in terms of the visuals that he's done. I think also um, what's happening at this point in time is really interesting. Is like you're having the beginning of the digital revolution, but also like film is kind of at its peak. And so... Um, I feel like the Dark Knight looks so much better than Slumdog Millionaire because I'm pretty sure Slumdog Millionaire was shot on a digital camera, um, and this was yeah. before like the red helium now is an 8K sensor with 17 stops of dynamic range. I mean, you just you point it at something and it's like ooh, cinematic. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. So. Danny Boyle was a very early adopter of digital. I think that he shot all of 28 Days Later on digital and was one of the very first people to shoot mm-hmm. all digital mm-hmm. and has carried that through all of his work uh, to this day. Yeah. So I'm sometime millionaire compared to all of these movies that were nominated. I mean, like I didn't see the changeling, but I watched the trailer today. It's a beautifully looking shot film, you know, typical Hollywood curious case, curious case of Benjamin button. I mean that, that just looks like 
your 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 typical uh, Fincher movie. You know, a lot of a lot of green, a lot of orange. Looks good. A lot of true blacks. Yep, yep. A lot of crushed blacks. The reader, once again, same as the Changeling, looks like a Hollywood period piece. Like nothing to complain it's about Deacons. there. It's yeah, you know, right. it's it's there. Um, but the Dark Knight just has such a such a unique look and texture to it the world feels so real um like there's so much character development happening with the camera the police interrogation scene you constantly have the camera on a dolly crossing the 180 showing like batman doesn't know if he's good or bad which side is he on i don't know um it's just it's just a perfectly shot movie and it's it's i think especially remarkable because like the whole movie is at night like everything yeah. is at night and shot on film yeah. and it's yeah. all at night and you yeah. know and like there's never a moment in the film in which you're not seeing exactly what deacons or not deacons um what fister and nolan want you to see wow what a compliment for I know, fister right I didn't, I, I, he, cam said it a second ago and it's been bouncing around my head but but every like every frame of this you see exactly what they want you to see even though it's shot in not yeah. ideal conditions mhm right and then the other film that we would have nominated in this category is a film we haven't talked about yet, but we will talk about a lot more as we go on throughout the night. It's a film called In Bruges. In Bruges? Bruges, yeah. In Bruges. In Bruges. In Bruges. That's a very <laughs> American way of me to say that. But it's a Martin McDonough film. Martin McDonough, Seven Psychopaths, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, he's obviously a very talented director, and this is his first directed movie. And it's a film that I feel like Trevor, did you see in Bruges? Uh, yeah, I saw it this weekend for the first time. So. I feel like I feel confident in saying this that we all feel like that film should get a lot more action. It's very good or awards than it did. Oh yeah, or at least uh, recognition. Lastly, going to film editing once again, Slumdog Millionaire won the category but once again we feel like the dark knight should have won that category i'm actually i mean i'm not i don't actually hate that too much for some dog millionaire it does so many different things that the editing is important and it it does it in a in a pretty good way i don't i think i i give it the slight edge because of its story story telling style was kind of difficult but both of them were great i think in that in that aspect but i would even say like the intercutting that slumdog millionaire does dark knight does better yeah that's what i was gonna say is like christopher nolan is obsessed with intercutting and messing with time and i think that the dark knight is like peak christopher nolan achieving that without being distracting or letting that get in the way of storytelling the way that he's able to interweave like four storylines happening at once is incredible. You know exactly what's happening, who's doing what, where they are, um, what the stakes are. Like it's it's so perfectly well done. And at any moment you think that the film could be ending, like constantly I was like, man, ah, that was good. Oh my gosh, there's another 45 minutes. Like <laughs> um, the, the movie just has like a perfect pacing where you're satisfied the entire time. And every time, like this is one of my biggest things that i love about editing is anytime that you start to ask yourself a question in a film or start to wonder what's going on with certain characters they either answer that question or cut to those characters and this film is textbook perfect of cataloging where your brain is at at that moment and going oh you're asking this question let's cut there oh you're wondering what's going on with the joker let's cut there it 
perfectly maps out exactly how you feel and then gives you exactly what you need before you get too distracted. Jake, have you have you watched The Dark Knight with the clock? Have you have you done the story clock on it? No, I want to though. I I feel like it would just be perfect. I I would assume so based based on what we're saying and I mean having watched it several times, I it, it I almost feel like it would have to be or whatever yeah. if it's not then then the story clock needs to be adjusted to whatever it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to get into the bigger categories. Um, you know, I like to call them the big eight. It's the screenplays, the actings, the director, and best picture. So let's start with screenplay. Uh, adapted screenplay. Let's start to sound like a broken record. <laughs> Slumdog Millionaire won. Dark Knight, which wasn't even nominated, should have won. There on so on so many levels this should this this fits the great story if you want to go that way some people like to go really quippy and quotey with their with their screenplay awards this also meets this meets that qualification as well so i i don't understand how it didn't even get a nomination the night is darkest just before the dawn come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a uh, bat like Batman is such an iconic character, has been around forever, has so many interesting storylines, especially with the Joker, and the fact that they were able to like condense all of that into this perfect movie is just insane. You know, it's it's insane. It also so, it takes um, it takes it's heavily it heavily influenced by Batman the Long Halloween, which we've talked about on here before. One of mm-hmm. if not the best graphic novel collections in the history of Batman, and it improves on it. Um, which is really shocking still. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's at least for adapted screenplay. It's how does it adapt this certain form or media of which this script was originally in and make it better. You know, there's films like doubt, which was originally a play and now has been made into a movie and doubts a great script. I feel like if the dark Knight isn't there, I would probably give my vote to doubt. But the issue is that the Dark Knight is there. So, <laughs> yeah, doubt is doubt you know, is really things- clever because it's a, it's like it's almost it almost plays like a really sad joke, with a punchline at the end, like like the yeah. most depressing joke you've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it is the aristocrats, but without <laughs> the. <laughs> Oh, John Patrick Shanley, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. You just oh, no. <laughs> yes. Um, there's other things, you know, like Frost Nixon. I don't. Have you guys seen Frost Nixon? No, I haven't. I'm sure I it's not. great. It's... it's got Michael Sheen and Anthony Langella yelling at each other, and it's directed by Ron Howard. So it's got to be at least yes. pretty good. So what else do it's, you want? It's, <laughs> it's very, very good, and it's another one that it's like, okay, if the Dark Knight's there, I would be fine giving my vote in this podcast to Frost Nixon, because I think I'm a huge Martin Sheen fan. I don't know if we've ever really talked about him on this podcast, but I think that he does what he's given always very well. Um, You know, Iron Man should have probably been nominated. It took a forgettable unknown character, comic book character and turned him into a household name. Um, And we'll get into what it did for Robert Downey Jr.'s career as well. But, you know, once again, Slumdog Millionaire won. I don't know if this, like, I'm trying to, I tried researching, like, what 
what led to Slumdog? Was it just this like hype train of like, oh, Slumdog? It's this like movie that everybody needs to see. I think it's a combination of a few things. I think one, it's a a a push to diversity by the Oscars that uh took a long time to culminate to where we are today. It's a push by Bollywood to look like a legitimate uh, studio and filmmaking place. And it's also Danny Boyle, a well-respected English white uh, director directing a Bollywood film with connections to the Academy. And I think it's kind of the Oscars nodding at Bollywood of like, we see you like we, we appreciate what you're doing. Kind of how they did with the artist of like mm, black and white. Yes. We're pretentious silent film. Um, <laughs> that that's what it feels like to me. Cause and I will also say it's, it's, it's like peak. Like we said before, it's peak mid late two thousands. Like that's what that movie is. Um, I think that maybe it was the Oscars trying to be like a little trendy and comment on some stuff, uh, but I think it's mostly those three things coming yeah, together. I think, I think it's a, f- a fairly clever story. If, if not one that started with its ending and then wrote itself backwards from there, um, <laughs> which I mean, maybe yeah. the novel, I mean, it's based on a novel, so it's hard to, I don't, and I don't know how much crossover there is in ideas, but the interesting thing about this movie is this movie is like a few cuts here and there from being like a barely PG 13 movie that your mom makes the whole family watch together. Cause it's a sweet rags to riches <laughs> story. Like it's not, it's not very far from that. You know, um, yeah. yeah, which is why ultimately it's not very good, I think. But I think that and I don't know if this is a credit to Danny Boyle, but I think it's as good as the story could have been. It's just not that great of a story. All right. Getting on to original screenplay. I don't I haven't seen Milk in probably eight or nine years. I think I saw it after the Academy Awards. Have you guys ever seen Milk? No, I haven't. I don't remember seeing it, but I might have, but I'm guessing I haven't. <laughs> it's unfair, and this is going to get brought up again uh, in Best Actor, because Sean Penn wasn't one Best Actor for his role as Harvey Milk. Is that who he played, Harvey Milk? Yes. Yes, Harvey right. Milk. Okay. Um, I feel like it's unfair of us to completely discount that, but with us not seeing it or not remembering it as well, we are kind of move on to other things. And I... As unfair as that is, that's kind of a product of it's not as memorable as other films that may deserve that award. So when it comes to original screenplay, while Milk may have won, Wally, at least I think me and Trevor put it in there, was the film that we felt was the best original screenplay. Yes. And then Jake put in Bruges. Yeah, I think Martin McDonough, the way he's able to write a film and write dialogue and write characters is it's 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 on a different level. Like the way he fleshes out movies and characters in the script specifically is so unique. Um, Granted, I haven't read the Wally screenplay and that thing is basically a silent movie, so I'm sure it's fantastically well written. Um, But I just find that. The way he's able to bring words to life on the page um, is unprecedented uh, in in our modern generation, and so I'm a huge fan of him and the the film in Bruges. I think it's one of his better ones that really goes under the radar. Yeah, I think in Bruges is 
is really incredible. It's it's the movie that Quentin Tarantino has been trying to make since Pulp Fiction, <laughs> and Martin McDonough yes. made it with and his has first never movie. successfully. Done. Yeah, it, it yeah. really is. Um, it's it's fantastic in a lot of ways, and we'll talk more about it. I also think that Synecdoche, New York, deserves a mention just because of how insane it is. Um, and then the Burn After Reading script is hilarious. Like I don't understand how it didn't get nominated. Um, for best original screenplay, it's a fantastic farce of a spy movie, a political thriller, um, one that had me laughing constantly. I feel like the Academy Awards have changed a lot since two thousand eight, and this that Burn After Reading is a really good example of that. The Academy Awards really shunned anything that wasn't drama, prestige films. And so something like Burn After Reading, that's a comedy farce spoof type thing, wouldn't get any love back in the day, whereas now it may get a little bit more love and respect. And in that same category, you know, I would even say that original screenplay, I think Tropic Thunder should be in there. Mm-hmm. I think Tropic Thunder is an incredible script, an incredible, incredibly well-told story. I mean, even from like the level of detail of the trailers up at the front to how they categorize all these characters to the individual characters that they create. It's something that hasn't been replicated to this day and something I don't think will ever be replicated again. Um, I'd also put pineapple express up there. I, that's I, maybe just no, me. I, 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 I agree. I think it's, it's a, it's such a different thing than what was happening at the time. I uh, love that movie. Yeah. yeah it's, it's hilarious. It, it's it's it almost like I I don't even know, really know how to say it. It like seems like it's going to be something you've seen before, and then it's not at all. I I quote it all the time. Just like I thought, hurricane yeah. season was over. Like just <laughs> so, so stupid. But that I think that's one of my favorite like straight up comedies of all time. It's it's by far Seth Rogen and James Franco's best work. I do that little uh, Bill Hader trumpet solo thing. The <laughs> uh, so funny. I mean, there's it, that's one of those movies that I'm with you, Jake. I, that was like a quintessential, like at that time in my life that I quoted that movie more than I think probably anything else. So and then we get to Best Supporting Actress. And Penelope Cruz won for Vicky Cristina Barcelona, which... I would be willing to bet that if I pulled a hundred people on Twitter, film people, they would not be able to tell me a single thing about this movie. Written in because I don't think it's been talked about. Allen. That's what I know. Right. <laughs> I don't think it's been talked about since two thousand eight. I don't know if anybody. I, I hardly hear anybody ever talk about this movie, and maybe it's because you know all this stuff is coming out, not come out, but has resurfaced about Woody Allen and the kind of person that he is but you know not to say that penelope cruz doesn't deserve that award but i've seen the movie i don't think it's that great but i do think there are two performances from the same movie that are pretty great and that's amy adams and viola davis both from doubt uh yes i agree i i think that amy adams should have won i think that she's fantastic um especially in doubt which is one of the on the whole, one of the most well-acted movies I've ever seen, I think. Um, everyone in it just brings an incredible performance. But yeah, I definitely think Amy Adams. Um, 
then uh viola davis is the other one she's also great i also would like to throw in there rosemary dewitt and rachel getting married which is not a who wasn't nominated which wasn't even nominated um which is not a very good movie um it is when it's actually trying to tell a story it's not a good movie when it's trying to be someone's wedding video um have you guys seen it no, but I yeah, know okay. about it. It's, like how they shot it and everything. There's 50 minutes of a good movie in here, and it's two hours long. Right. It's it's a short film. Yeah. It should be a short yeah. film. So, but anyway, Rosemary DeWitt is really great in it. Out of all the actresses that were nominated, I've only seen The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, um, and that movie is fine. <laughs> so my answer <laughs> was a shruggy emoji. So, <laughs> Yes. Yes. Um, the other person is Marissa Tomei in The Wrestler. Marissa Tomei, I feel like, is constantly that actress that I'm like, you were a great part of that movie, but I don't know if you were the best that year. I feel like she's always great in whatever she's in. Like, she's great in Crazy Stupid Love, and she's great in Spider-Man, but she's such a small part in both of those. She's a chameleon. That's kind of hard. She like she she's yeah. constantly a character actress, and you like forget that she was in it, but she always is great. And then you're like, Marissa Tomei was in that. I love her. Right. The other two that I was just forgetting of was her 2011 other two 2011 films, Lincoln Lawyer and Ides of March. Yeah, she's great in all yep. those. I forgot she was in those, but she is great in all those. So, <laughs> yeah, proving my point. There's one category here that I don't. I don't think that anybody could dispute it's best supporting actor. I don't think that anybody would argue that Heath Ledger wasn't the best supporting actor performance from that year, let alone maybe one of the best acting performances of all time. Yeah. It's, it's not even debatable. I mean, yeah, it's, it's easily one of the top 10 or 20 single performances in any film ever. I, I the reason why I put it so high whenever I try and whenever I like rank stuff like this is because I think that he most times people are taking like in great performances they're taking a believable character and just bringing it to life on screen which is great all credit to that I'm not trying to take away from that but what Heath Ledger did here was take a character that was completely unbelievable unrealistic something that we would hopefully never see in real life and made him terrifying and real all by what he did with his performance and his mannerisms. And that's something that I don't, I feel like is so understated in what he does here. It's he completely brought a character to life that shouldn't ever feel real. And it's such a like beautifully sad the thing that he created, that this was his last performance, but it was like one of the best thing, one of the best performances ever created. He was so great that it like retroactively legitimized anything the character has ever done or been involved mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you compare him to Jared Leto's performance, which just feels so ridiculous and fake and over the top and, um, it, it just feels like another universe, but they're also trying to be grounded. Uh, I mean, like right. what he was able to do was just perfect. I do want to say right. that I think that Brendan Gleeson was fantastic in In Bruges. I, I, I'm really surprised he didn't get a nomination for that. 
Right. Robert Downey Jr. is great in Tropic Thunder. Philip Seymour Hoffman's great in Doubt. There's there's great actors out there. Um, the other two that were nominated are Josh Brolin for Milk and Michael Shannon for Revolutionary Road, which, once again, I don't remember much of, but those are two great actors, and so you kind of just assume, like, yeah, they're always great in everything they're in. It's more just a case of, well, nobody's going to really touch Heath Ledger. Like, you can't, you can't really make that better. You can't really do better than the best, one of the best performances of all time. As far as getting into Best Actress goes, Kate Winslet won for The Reader, which, once again, pretty forgettable. I don't know if that's just like a, for lack of a better term, the Meryl Streep Award, and that's like, oh, nobody else really stood out? Oh, what was this person in that year? Okay, <laughs> there we go. Which is, you know, a coincidence, considering that Meryl Streep also had a movie that year that, you know, could have done well, but... Jake, uh, you know, gave the shrug emoji. Yeah. And so the the role that me and Trevor picked was Anne Hathaway and Rachel getting married. Oh, she's so great. And I I will ride the Anne Hathaway train forever. She's she's fantastic. She has been since Princess Diaries. She's always great in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get the backlash against I don't her. Understand like, there's so many people either. online that hate her. I don't her. understand either. She is... Oh, she's the best part of Ocean's Eight. She's an absolute delight in that movie. Yes. Um, yep. And 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 basically, like she's great in Interstellar. She, yeah. Okay. So getting into Best Actor, Sean Penn won for Milk, which once again, we talked about this earlier. We either haven't seen it or don't remember it, and so it's not fully fair to delegitimize what he did in that film. But at the same time, there are other people that deserve recognition. And Trevor gave his uh, best actor to Philip Seymour Hoffman for Synecdoche, New York, where Jake and I uh, both voted on Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler. I haven't seen The Wrestler, so I I know that people love people say it's really good and that his performance is great. He's great in it. I'm not a huge Mickey Rourke fan. Like I probably couldn't tell you another movie that Mickey Rourke's in that I like. I think that he's one of the worst parts. Oh, I don't like him in that. I think he's garbage in that. But he's fantastic in this. And it's one of those examples, once again, of like, hey, if you have a good director, they're going to elevate even the worst actors. It's, you know, not the worst actors because I'm about to give a different example, but it's, you know, when Adam Sandler works with PTA, it's like, oh, wow, Adam Sandler's a good actor. It's the same here. It's like, oh, Mickey Rourke's working with Darren Aronofsky. Oh, he's a good actor. Jake, why did you put uh, Mickey Rourke as for The Wrestler? Um, so there's something I think to actors taking on roles that make them not cool, like are that put them in very vulnerable positions in a lot of different ways. Um, I think that's basically why Leonardo DiCaprio won the Oscar for The Revenant. Um, it wasn't so much because it's an incredible performance, but it's like what he went through for that role. Um, People are all over, like, oh my god, Rami Malek's performance as Freddie Mercury is just so amazing, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, yeah, like, he does a good job, but most of the film is him lip-syncing to one of the greatest rock singers of all time. Like, that's <laughs> that's pretty cool and not hard to mess up, I don't think. I don't know. But Mickey, yeah. what, what Mickey Rourke does in this film, like, physically, what he does to himself, like, what he puts his body through, the emotional roller coaster that he takes us on, it, it's just like such a 
beautiful, intimate look at this man's life. Like he becomes this person uh, in a way that even like a biopic doesn't accomplish, which like literally the entire focus of a biopic is like, uh, Rami Malik is Freddie Mercury. It's like, well, <laughs> no, he's just got a bunch of dentures in his mouth. Like that's, that's really it. So, um, Mickey Rourke becomes <laughs> becomes the wrestler. That's I mean, the best hot take on Bohemian Rhapsody I've heard yet. <laughs> so yeah, oh, I, I think that what he does is just incredible. And I really like the movie. It's a great movie. Um the other people that we felt maybe should have been nominated, Clint Eastwood, Gran Torino, maybe the last good movie that Clint Eastwood did. Gran Torino mm-hmm. Gran Torino isn't that good. Ooh. It's got it's Why it's got a really Trevor? big white savior problem. Yeah. Mm. But that's but true. Clint Eastwood's pretty good in it, though. I mean, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it has it. He's he his performance is very good. I, I agree. Right, Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man is a career transforming, industry transforming performance. Like, so it's it's a like Kevin Feige should give twenty percent of his money to Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> like, I mean, I think they basically do with his contract numbers. Yeah. Yeah, like, he made sixty five million dollars for the Avengers. I think he's doing just like, fine. I don't think like I don't think it's crazy hyperbole for me to say that this whole thing would not have worked if he wasn't so oh. good. Like it just would no. it just no. wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened the same way exactly. that it did without how good he is. Um, and then the other person that we felt like should have been nominated was Tom Hardy for Bronson. I, I which... haven't seen it. Maybe Tom Hardy's one of his better performances. And that's coming from somebody who loves Tom Hardy. I am not the biggest Tom Hardy fan. Um I, I think he's good, but I don't I don't get the obsession that a lot of people have with him. Um, Bro, have you seen Venom though? I think he's Bro. better when his mouth is covered. <laughs> I like looking at I like watching his eyes and his eyebrows move. He's very good at acting with his eyes. He has a lot of practice with it. Um, How there's that subgenre for like five minute John Bernthal movies. Yes. There's a subgenre for Tom Hardy mouth movies. There's definitely. It's like The Dark Knight that. Rises, Mad Max, Dunkirk, yeah. Venom to some degree, but I don't want to put Venom in that category because the other ones are good. Yes. So I, I think that he transforms in this film. Um, and it's it's a really unique, fun movie about one of the most violent people of all time. So check it out, I guess. Who also claims to be yeah. a nice guy when he's not being violent. I, yeah. I, yeah. I have read a little bit about, about Charles Bronson, and he is quite a character. He's a little scary. <laughs> he's a little scary. I feel like the guys who claim to be a nice guy when they're not violent are probably more scary than the guys who are just violent all the time. Yeah. Because then they have that switch that they're like, oh, I'm going to turn this on. It's harder to comprehend, definitely. Okay, now we get into best director and best picture. And there's a note we've been hitting tonight. And we're going to hit it once again here. Both categories... The winner was Slumdog Millionaire. You know, best director Danny Boyle for Slumdog Millionaire. Best picture Slumdog Millionaire. And in both categories, we very much feel like probably should have been Christopher Nolan for The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight winning Best Picture. You messed up the Academy. <laughs> Although Jake, you did put Martin McDonough as best director. Yeah. Um I think that Okay, so you guys had this conversation last week about what is the job of a director versus a producer. Uh Um, I think 
I agree mostly with what you guys said, but I do think that like producers, especially executive producers, um, they don't get the credit they deserved in modern film. I think the pendulum has swung a little too far to where like the director gets all the credit. Uh, so much of what makes the dark Knight so incredible, uh, is I think mostly due to producers doing, doing a fantastic job of coordinating, um, incredible locations, really dangerous stunts. Um, it, the producer is the one that's working with all the different departments, making things like happen logistically. And the director is the one, uh, overseeing the creative vi- vision while all the logistics are happening. And there's like a, a dance there that happens between them. Um, so I think that the dark Knight doesn't exist in it, its current form without the producers. Um, but I think that in Bruges is all Martin McDonough. So that's why I think that in Bruges, um, you can really feel him just like that is his movie. Um, and so that's why I think that he should get best director. Yeah, that's, I think that's a very fair direction to take that. And I think that's, he's somebody who, if Nolan didn't win, I'm fine with it being McDonough, but not Danny Boyle for this, which <laughs> honestly, like I like Danny Boyle. I think he's made some great films. Yeah. I don't even think this is a top five Danny Boyle movie. Definitely I, not. Like I, 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 th- I said this earlier, but I think we should give him some credit for making this story as good as it could have been. I think, I think that there's, yeah. something- but do we give him credit for making a movie that, isn't as good as everybody perceives it to be. Like that's like saying like, Oh yeah. Mocking Jay is as good as it could have been, but it's still not well, good. I, I guess it's I'll like, say this. No, it doesn't count. Slumdog millionaire could have been a mess. And instead of not, instead of being a mess, it was a fine, pretty good movie. Yeah. And the dark Knight could have been a mess too. And instead it's well, a yeah, great sure. movie. I mean, I don't think Danny Boyle did that good, but I think he did fine. I think he did a good job. I think he did mm, a t- one of the one variable. of the seven or eight best directing performances of the year. He polished okay. he polished a turd. Let's give it to him. Yeah. He polished a turd. Now, when we get to best picture, there's the films that were nominated were The Reader, Milk, Frost Nixon, Curious Case of Benjamin Benton, and Slumdog Millionaire One. When we put our rankings together, the films that we felt like should have been nominated, uh, at least according to this, were Slumdog Millionaire, Doubt. In Bruges, Wally, and with the Dark Knight winning, four of those films weren't even nominated. Doubt, In Bruges, Wally, and the Dark Knight weren't even nominated. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I can't, like, looking back, the most surprising one that wasn't nominated is Doubt. That's very Oscar Beatty, and it was nominated for all of the acting performances. It's very yeah, strange that, that it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. It does feel like such an Oscar bait movie. I can't believe it didn't get more attention. I mean, it's very good. I don't... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, it's really fantastic. But, once again, the Academy, the Oscars, how did you mess up and not give that award to one of the best films of the 21st century? A top five best film of the 21st century so far? Absolutely it is. I don't get how you mess up that bad. I don't. Yeah, there's there's two films from 2008 that clearly stand above everything else, and neither were nominated. So I don't. Is the other Wally? Yeah, in my opinion, I think I think Wally 
is like you could watch it like if it had not been made and the script had been shelved, they could have made it again yesterday with the exact same script and not had to change it at all. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's perfectly encapsulating, like not, a, not a specific time, but like an era in history. It's as relevant today as it was then, right. easily. It's, and it looks as good today as it did back then. Right. And I mean, it's like Jake said, it's, it's, the first third of it is pretty much a silent film and it's beautiful. Um, the last, the last bit of it, you, it really pounds you in the face and the brain and it's like, stop being a dummy. Um, (laughs) yeah, go outside and do something and recycle your, your crap. Um, also the most real, I think we've said this on the podcast before, most realistic look at the future. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a very possible, future outcome i would say we're almost there so (laughs) yeah so that's our 10 years later oscars that's what we feel like has stood the test of the past 10 years and how we feel like the academy did wrong some places did right other places but overall was not necessarily on point as they should have been so um, let's go ahead and get to our content of the week. Trevor, what is your content of the week? Um, are we gonna, are we going to rank our films from 2008? I didn't, but you can if you would like. Did I read all 33 of mine or <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, give us give us your top 10. Uh my top 10 working backwards from 10. Um Star Wars the Clone Wars, Slumdog Millionaire, Cloverfield, which we haven't talked about at all yet, and I was going to bring up in a second because it's amazing. Um, Burn <laughs> After Reading, Synecdoche, New York, In Bruges, Iron Man, Doubt, Wally, and The Dark Knight. Jake? Nice. Uh, okay, mine is number 10, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, number 9, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, number 8, Doubt, 7, Cloverfield, 6, Tropic Thunder, 5, Iron Man, Four Pineapple Express, three in Bruges, two Wally, one The Dark Knight. <laughs> yeah, if I'm putting a list together, I don't, I, I, I didn't put a top ten, but in no, I mean, well, Dark Knight and Wally are the top two, but then in no particular order after that, you know, in Bruges, Iron Man, Pineapple Express, Reading Star Marshall, Cloverfield, Doubt, Speed Racer would be up there for me. Tropic Thunder, and I really love Get Out, Get Smart. Um, yeah, Get Smart's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a, it's completely stupid, but it's a feature length threat level midnight, and <laughs> I love that because that's that's at the time we didn't know what threat level midnight was, but then we got this, and that's perfect. So, um, all right, do you guys have content of the week? Um, I do. Okay, yeah, I was just okay. gonna share a couple under the radar 2008 movies. Um, one is i don't know if it's under it's kind of under the radar now um i know cloverfield was really hot when it came out and then everyone it was like cool to hate it because you oh i got sick i got a headache but cloverfield is is really amazing um the way that it tells a story is is really fascinating um the way that it follows the jaws principle is perfect um and it's just it's just a really fun movie um and Matt Reeves has really built on that into a lot of other really fun, interesting movies. Um, and then my other one, 
my other one is is Synecdoche, New York. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning. Um, if you, if the Truman Show is not trippy enough for you, and you need to see <laughs> like the outside, this is a prequel to Truman. If you need, that's, that's exactly right. what that if is. If you need to see the outside of the Truman Show, like outside of the dome, but also with a little twist of Eternal Sunshine thrown in then you should check out Synecdoche, New York. It's truly unlike anything I've ever seen before. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm intrigued. You should yeah. write log it's, lines it's, for a living. You may not like it, but it's worth watching. Okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know how to sell something better than that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, my content of the week doesn't have anything to do with 2008, so sorry about it. Um... I watched a documentary this week that I think everyone should watch. It's called Dark Money. It's a little slow, but it is terrifying. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime, and it's about how basically money has bought our politics and our country. Yay! Uh, so watch it. It's, <laughs> it's, it is eye-opening. I highly recommend everyone watch it. But I also highly recommend that everyone stop watching things and read a book. Um, and so I, yeah, I'm reading, uh, for the first time, one of my dad's favorite books of all time, an American classic, uh, Lonesome Dove. And so I'm like 150 pages into the <laughs> 900 page book. Um, I've got it on Saturday and I just, I can't put it down. It is, it is fantastic. And I'm only 150 pages in, uh, it, it's really, really good. I'm excited to see what happens with it next. And it's considered one of the best American novels of all time. So, I mean, it, I, it, you think it'd be good so here we go uh so yeah check it out dark money lonesome dove i'm gonna talk about um two of my guilty pleasure three of my guilty pleasure 2008 movies i'll go three i'll give you all three <laughs> and they're garbage movies i will fully admit that all three of them are garbage but there's some fun to be had in all three of them and those three movies are jumper the Hayden Christensen oh, movie where he jumps through space oh, and um, such a cool garbage idea. movie. Such a yes. terrible movie. Doug Lyman just trying to do his thing early on in his career. Um, next garbage movie, 21, the Blackjack movie with... Um, I can't even remember his name. I just Jim watched Sturgis? it the other day. Is that right? Uh, Jim Sturges and Kate Bosworth about gambling oh, I forgot Kate Bosworth and counting existed. cards. Yes. And then the third garbage film that is a guilty pleasure of mine is Wanted. The Angelina Jolie, James McAvoy movie with... <gasps> Curving bullets. Baylor, Baylor grads made that, guys. <laughs> Listen, Wanted is my number 11 film. It's so fun. It really I, It's I, fun, but it's hot garbage. It really captures... I make the Baylor joke because as film majors at Baylor University, um, you would have thought that only two filmmakers existed. <laughs> and that is yes. uh, Derek Haas and whoever the other guy's name Michael is. Michael Brandt. Michael Brandt. See, there you go. That <laughs> shows... Who are in charge of Chicago Fire... PD. They also, yeah, they like also, hospital, whatever the Chicago They wrote the series. screenplay for 310 to Yuma, which is a really good movie. The remake, 310 to Yuma, which is Yeah, really good. that's the one yes. like quality thing that I'm like, you I, know what? Deserved. I th- and Too Fast, Too Furious, Jake. Hell. Is I it? Think, don't. I don't. think Wanted is Please super fun. Jake. I think it I think it captures the com- the feeling of the of a comic book really well. That being said, 
they are also responsible for maybe the most awkward moment I've ever experienced in a classroom in my entire life (laughs) where a student got up on a microphone and asked them why they directed Richard Gere to die so poorly in their film to their face. (laughs) And that was maybe one of the most like cringe, awkward moments I've ever heard of. I've never seen, not heard of, but seen. I've never seen a teacher want to hit a student as badly (laughs) as that. I, I, I skipped that screening and I'm really mad that I did. I wish that I had gone. No, it was a terrible movie and he had a point, but but you don't ask the person. <laughs> That'd be like going up to Mike Myers and being like, "Why are you such like? Why did you make such a terrible movie as Love Guru?" Yeah, and it's like, well, you don't ask that, even though it's true. Like, if I go up to Mike Myers, I'm gonna be like, "Thank you for all the comedy genius that you've brought to my life in Wayne's World and Austin Powers and so many other things." You, you and not to, focus you on Mike the garbage. Myers, you clearly go up to him and say, "I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy." That's the only way <laughs> yes. to greet Mike Myers. Yes. You don't ask him about a terrible moment in his career. Also, while we're doing this, I also feel like that we should mention a couple films that we didn't talk about. One is The House Bunny, which exists for some reason. <laughs> and that I Why are we bringing that up? Because on the because I don't know. I feel embarrassed like, that that got why mentioned. Why does it exist? Here. Like why why on earth does it exist? All right, that's all we have this week. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Captain Marvel where we talk what? about the 2009 terrible movies that way. we hate. Oh wait, sorry. Sorry. Uh, yes. You enjoyed way listening to, end to this us. Podcast. Oh my god. <laughs> I love it. If you've enjoyed listening to us or if you've hated us, you know, just hate recommend us to a friend. If you're like, man, this podcast is the bright of podcasts. <laughs> go check it out. <laughs> uh yeah, you can check us out on iTunes or Spotify. Subscribe, rate, review us, go share us with your friends and family. If you want to know more about us, you can find us on our website at popcornoptional.com. If you want to interact with us, you can find us on Twitter at popcornoptional. My name's Cameron Sanina. You can find me online at 321 Time or on Letterbox, the movie social media app at C Jake, where can we find you online? You can find me online at jakebrown.tv, and I'm on Letterbox without the dot. Trevor. Oh, there you go. Uh, I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Turbo Trevor. In the words of Truman Burbank, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Goodbye. Later.